morning. Thank you for being here today. It's a beautiful day. We are grateful for this opportunity. If you're visiting with us, as always, thank you for coming our way. We hope and pray that your worship with us will be beneficial, that it will bless you. As always, if you're looking for a church home, we invite you to consider the work here. We'd love to have you as a part of our church family. We want you to know how much we really mean that. I know that the elders here would be more than happy to sit down and discuss with you any questions that you might have. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, and we appreciate Gary reading our lesson text for the day. Very thankful that Gary is now in the rotation to read, and we appreciate him and Eva, and glad to have them with us today. But we're going to be looking at this text, and the theme of our study today, the righteousness that exceeds. In Matthew chapters 5 through 7, we have what is typically referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And this sermon packs a very powerful punch. And Jesus is laying down some bedrock truths upon which those who would be His disciples are to take and to internalize and live out every day. And so in this context, Jesus is stressing some things that relate to Scripture and our observance of His divine law. And so in Matthew chapter 5, you remember Jesus had set forth what we typically call the Beatitudes. And then he talked about the influence that we are to exert in the world in which we live, that we're to be salt and light. And now he begins talking about the focus of Scripture. And then there is the fulfillment of Scripture. Thirdly, our faithfulness to Scripture. So let's look at what Jesus had to say in the long ago in this monumental lesson that he had set forth some 2,000 years ago that's still very applicable, pertinent to us today. So number one, the focus of Scripture. If you want to know something about the focus of Scripture, let me just sum it up for you in one word, Jesus. There's a passage found in the book of Hebrews in chapter 2, verse 9, that I think really helps to bring everything into focus, so to speak. The Hebrew writer said, But now we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honor, that He, by the grace of God, might taste death for every man. But I really like the phrase, But now we see Jesus. In the Old Testament, the prophets of old began unfolding a picture of the Messiah to come. Matter of fact, there is what we would call the promise of the coming Messiah. That promise was made and began to unfold going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 and the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Now bear in mind, God had a plan in place before He ever made the world or the human family. God had a plan in place so that when man sinned, because God gave man the ability to make choices in life and as a result of God's omniscience, the ability to know everything, God realized that man at some point in time would make the wrong decision, 
thereby bringing sin into the world and thus standing in need of a Savior, a Redeemer. And so the Bible is really about salvation, redemption in Christ. And Jesus is the one who would make that happen. Now we talk about the promise that was made in Genesis 3.15. And you remember in chapter 12, God called on a man by the name of Abraham to leave his family, his family home, and to migrate to a country that God said, I will tell you of. The Hebrew writer said that he obeyed the will of Almighty God. And God said, through your seed line, all families, all nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Later in the book of Genesis, God would say that the promised seed, the Messiah, would come through the tribe of Judah. You read about that in Genesis chapter 49. He would also come through a very specific family, that being David, according to 2 Samuel chapter 7. He would be born of a virgin. That's what Isaiah said in chapter 7, verse 14. He would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Jesus is the focus of Scripture. He is the focus in the Old Testament. He is the focus in the New Testament. But then, not just the promise of the coming Messiah, but what about His purpose? I don't know if it could be better stated than it's found in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, when the angel said to Joseph in a dream that that which had been conceived in Mary was of the Holy Spirit. And the angel said, She shall bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus, and he shall save his people from their sins. Now you remember what the Hebrew writer said back in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9? that he would taste of death for every man? Jesus would say in Luke 19, he had been in the home of Zacchaeus, made a favorable impression upon him. And Jesus said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. The Lord Jesus understood his purpose. He recognized that God had laid upon his shoulders a divine will. That will would be executed to perfection. Through whom? Through Jesus. As Paul said, he was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Yes, even the death of the cross. So Jesus died and willingly suffered in my stead. As Peter said, he bore my sins in his body on the cross. As the Apostle Paul would comment in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Him who knew no sin, he became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So we talk about the focus of Scripture. But then secondly, what about the fulfillment of Scripture? Did you know that Jesus affirmed time and again that his goal was to fulfill God's eternal Plan. Matter of fact, that was his aim. Now, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, in the long ago, you remember again in verse 17, the passage that Gary read a moment ago. He said, think not, that I, think not that I came to destroy the law. I did not come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. And then he said, most assuredly, I say to you, Heaven and earth shall not pass away, 
Listen to this. Heaven and earth shall not pass away. One jot nor one tittle shall not pass from the law until all is fulfilled. A jot was the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. A tittle really literally meant little horn. We would call it an accent mark. And so we talk about the precision of the law of Almighty God. Now Jesus, as I said a minute ago, He came with the aim of fulfilling that law, didn't He? Do you remember, for example, in John chapter 9, Jesus said, I must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. The night comes when no man can work. So here's Jesus saying that I have a limited amount of time on planet Earth. Spent some 33 years on planet Earth, three of which, three and a half years, consisted of His ministry. And Jesus would say in John chapter 6, in verse 38, I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Jesus was mindful of the Father's will. The psalmist of old, quoted by the Hebrew writer, said, The Lord Himself said, I come in the volume of the book it is written to me to do your will, O God. That was the goal of Jesus. His aim was singular in nature, wasn't it? Matter of fact, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 4, that Jesus is, He was, the aim or end of the law. The law of Moses was a schoolmaster, a tutor, to point people in the direction of the Christ. And so, Jesus is talking about the importance of fulfilling that law. The Lord did not come to invalidate the law or to frustrate the purpose of the law, but rather His intent was to come and to fulfill it to perfection. The question is, did He do that? And the answer would be yes, didn't He? You remember what Jesus said, John chapter 17, the shadow of the cross, I've glorified you on the earth, I've finished the work which you've given me to do. Do you remember when he was hanging on the cross between two thieves and he said, it is finished? Before Jesus ascended to heaven, in Luke chapter 24, here's what he said to his apostles. He said, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And then the Bible says that He opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. He went on to say, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary that the Christ should suffer and rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name, beginning in Jerusalem. Now let me ask you a question. What was so significant about Jerusalem and the proclamation of the gospel in that particular city? Do you remember Isaiah, back in Isaiah chapter 2, talked about the kingdom of God, the church, how all nations would flow into it? And he said in the long ago concerning the church, the word of the Lord would go forth from Jerusalem. And Jesus went on to say in verse 49, I send the promise of my Father upon you. They were to tarry in Jerusalem until they were endued with power from on high. 
So they began preaching and teaching the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus was the focal point of their preaching and teaching. Did Jesus fulfill, did He affirm that He fulfilled the law? Yes, He did. He affirmed it in John chapter 17, verse 5. He affirmed it while hanging on the cross. It is finished. Without the death of Jesus, we'd be lost and dying in sin. But now, there's a third thing I want to share with you that I think really is extremely important in this context. It has to do with faithfulness to Scripture. And number one, I want to talk about our perception of Scripture. Now, look at what Jesus said beginning in verse 19. He said, Whoever shall break one of these least of my commandments and teach men, so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. One of the problems with the Jews in the first century, they had come up with a system and they began to categorize certain tenets of the law. And they had this idea, particularly the scribes and the Pharisees, that as long as they complied with the outward commands of the law, it didn't matter about their heart, it didn't matter about being circumcised in heart to God, didn't matter about their love for God, and really love is to be the catalyst behind which we do everything, isn't it? So when you think about Scripture, and you look at the scribes and the Pharisees in the first century, and I really think Jesus is directing a lot of what He's saying here toward those people, because they were religious. For example, you remember in Matthew chapter 23, in about verse, 30, in about verse I guess, 23, Jesus said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. He said, You tithe mint, anise, and cumin, but you neglect the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. He said, These you ought to have done and not left the other undone. So here they were in the first century, and they're tithing to God. A tithe consisting of 10%. And imagine if you can, they're taking these garden herbs and they're counting them off. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. That's mine. And here's yours, God. What was it Jesus said? You remember in Luke chapter 18? The Bible talks about the scribes and the Pharisees. The Pharisees. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. They looked down at other people. So Jesus told a parable, really with the intent of pricking their heart. He said two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now how were tax collectors viewed in the first century? Weren't they despised, looked down upon, socially outcast? Matthew being a tax collector, and when Jesus was in the home of Matthew, dining with him, the religious leaders wanted to know, why would your teacher, why would he stoop to eating with sinners and tax collectors? So here is this Pharisee, and he's praying to Almighty God, and he says, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other men, extortioners, 
unjust, adulterous, or even as this tax collector. He said, I fast twice a week, give tithes of all I possess. Can't you just see this man saying, God, do you realize how lucky you are to have me in your service? I mean, look at me. I'm something. Now, we talk about our perception of Scripture. Do we pick and choose what we want to obey and ignore the other? Do we understand the importance of the totality of God's law? The psalmist said in Psalm 119, the sum of your word is truth. That is, the totality of truth is in Scripture, isn't it? So what we have to do is begin sifting through the Scriptures, identifying what God expects from us. It's not about just preaching and teaching the commands of Almighty God. It's about practicing those commands. They were good at preaching what they believed to be was law. Their problem, however, was the practice of law. And so you look at Matthew chapter 5, and you hear Jesus saying, For I say unto you, except your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, wait a minute. What about the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees? They were conceited. They thought they were better than other people. They didn't really think they needed a Messiah. They had the law. They had Abraham's blood coursing their veins. I mean, why would we need a Messiah? We're righteous. We're dignified. We belong to Abraham's seed. Well, they misconstrued a lot of things, didn't they? In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus said, Outwardly, talking about the scribes and Pharisees, you appear righteous before men. That's really, you talk about people that wanted to put on a dog and pony show so that those around them would say, boy, aren't they righteous. Now you look at Matthew chapter 6. In Ma look at Matthew chapter 6. I want you to see something very quickly. In Matthew chapter 6, listen to what Jesus says. Verse 1, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, he said, you have no reward in heaven. Can you just see the scribes and the Pharisees engaging in acts of benevolence? And their purpose was not because they were motivated by love for God to help their fellow man, but rather the idea was they engaged in these benevolent works so that others might see them and say, boy, aren't you something? Aren't you a godly individual? Then drop down, look at verse 5. Jesus now talks about prayer. And He said, When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets. Why? That they may be seen by men. That was the idea right there. They wanted folks to see them praying in public places so that the attention would be directed toward them. And these folks around them, seeing them pray a very pious prayer and hearing them would say, boy, aren't they something? I mean, these are the religious upper crust. Drop down now, look at verse 16. 
He said, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. You see what Jesus is saying here? Jesus is directing His attention to people who are going through the outward forms of the law. But internally speaking, in terms of genuinely loving God and being motivated to serve Him and obey His Word from the heart, dead. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus talked about those who were sitting in Moses' seat, the scribes and the Pharisees. And He said, whatever they bid you to observe, that observe and do. But do not according to their works. Why? Because they say and do not. So what's the point here? Number one, what's your perception of Scripture? There are no least and great command. They're all important, aren't they? Every single command of God is important. Every command that relates to our worship to God, every command that relates to our work on behalf of the Lord, Every command that relates to our ways in the Lord, that is how we conduct ourselves, they're all important. There are no big laws and little laws. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they were all about outward form. They wanted people to think, man, these guys are something. But the bottom line was, internally, they were dead as dead can be. So there is the perception of the law, but then, secondly, the practice of the law. In their mind, you know what? They could think devious thoughts about a fellow brother. They could internally hate that person. As long as they didn't take his life, they thought they were okay. So it was all about externals, just checking a box. I did this, I did this, I did this. I mean, hey, I'm a good guy. Here's my question to us. Are we going through the mechanics of religion? Or are we genuinely motivated to work and worship the Lord because we love Him? Now look, you can come every Sunday you can be here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and you can check that box. I was here. But there's more to Christianity than that. There's more to Christianity than people seeing you and saying, oh, you know what, he's a member of the Olive Branch Church of Christ, or she's a part of the church at Olive Branch. It's good that you are. But what's your heart like? That's what Jesus is talking about right here. He's saying that your heart has to be right if you're going to be in tune with God. So much so that if you, if you go to worship and you realize a brother has all against you, you need to make that right. Leave your gift at the altar, reconcile with your brother, and then come and offer your sacrifice. How often is it that we have problems with one another? Sometimes we have a problem with a brother or sister, and it might be the case they don't even know it. 
They have offended us in some way, but they don't know it. But we never say anything to them about it. It might be that somebody has something against us, and we know that. And so we want to come forward and confess our sins. There's nothing wrong with that. And say to God in the presence of an assembly, I've sinned, I need forgiveness. That's all well and good. But Jesus said, you need to first be reconciled with your brother. You don't need to come down on the front row and acknowledge your sin. You need to take care of it with the individual. That's what Jesus said. So it's about putting into practice a simple teaching of the Son of God. And you look at your Christian life. Look, look at how you live day to day. Is it possible that we're just going through the motions? You know, I know that we're in the middle of the summer. And there's been a spike in COVID. But you know what? When I look around, I see a lot of folks that were here that aren't here now. And what that says to me is they're just going through the motions. You show up just Sunday morning, you don't come back Sunday night, Wednesday night, you're not interested in studying the Bible outside of worship, not interested in praying to God, you're just checking the box. And listen, you think you've come and paid your fire insurance bill, i got news for you, you have not. And there are folks that come in here every single week and sit on these pews. And they sing or they don't sing, they listen to the sermon, and they either take it to heart or they don't. And sometimes I think about what Jesus said. They hear it, but they don't hear it. They see it, but they don't see it. They think it's always pointed in the direction of somebody else. Listen, I'm talking to you. And if you're watching live stream and you're, you've decided that you're going to stay home in your pajamas and worship Almighty God, i got news for you. You've got a real problem. It's called a heart problem. Why is it some folks never come back on Sunday night? And if you ask them, they'll tell you, I think I'm in good standing with the Lord. Unless there is a viable reason for not coming to worship when we meet. If you choose to sit home and watch television or go play golf or go do something else, I've got news for you. The kingdom is not first in your life. And listen very carefully. You will not go to heaven. Do you understand that? You're not going to heaven. And we got some folks in this congregation, they need their cage rattled. You might be here today and you need your cage rattled. You need to wake up and understand this is not, this is not take or leave. Rather, we're talking about the very heart of Christianity, the heart of serving the Lord. And if your heart is not in it, if you're not genuinely serving the Lord from the heart, you might as well go home. If you're not here for the right reason, then why are you coming? Why do you, why do you come? Why do you do what you do? Think about that for a minute. Why is it that you do what you do on the first day of the week? Why do you come to services on Sunday morning? And why is it some folks will be here Sunday morning, but I know without a shadow of a doubt they will not come back Sunday night? I can tell you why. It's called the heart. 
Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And you look at Matthew chapters 5 through 7, every single thing points in the direction of one place. It's called the heart. So what about you today? You want to be a child of God? You want to live for God? You better put Him first. Don't leave here today thinking that you can go about your business in life and you can have a part of the kingdom in your life and that you've already sealed the deal and you're going to heaven. I've got news for you. That's not the case. Listen to Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God. That means before anything else. If the kingdom is not first in your life, you're in real trouble. I'm not saying that to frighten you, terrify I'm just telling you the truth. And here's what Paul asked many years ago. Have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Do I want to be liked? Yes. Do I care whether or not people appreciate me or love me? Yes. But look, my job is to preach the gospel. To preach the truth of God no matter what. And if people like it, wonderful, great, and good. But if they don't like it, tough luck. I am not backing down when it comes to New Testament Christianity. And I'm not backing down when it comes to holding people to a high standard. Because when you obeyed the gospel, when you were baptized into Jesus Christ, you signed on to be a faithful believer in the Lord's army. And if you're not what you ought to be, somebody needs to wake you up. And I'd rather wake you up and make you mad than you go to hell. That's exactly where you'll go if you don't wake up. It's exactly where you'll go. So my question, is your heart in Christianity? The heart of the matter, it's the heart. It's what Jesus is saying right here. The scribes and the Pharisees, they thought they had it all down. And they thought that they were the religious upper crust, the pious ones, and everybody looked up to them and revered their teaching and their thinking. And here's what Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. If you think just through outward form, you can be a disciple of Christ. Listen, that's not the case at all. That's what Jesus is saying. It's not about what you look like on the outside. It's not about going through rituals. It's about your heart. It's about obeying from the heart that form of doctrine and then living by it day in and day out. That means I worship God regularly. That means that I do things in the name of Christ, not for personal adulation, but I do it so that the Father in heaven might be glorified. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Question, based upon the teaching of Jesus, are you in or out? Are you faithful or are you unfaithful? No middle ground. You can't be serving two masters. What he said in Matthew 6, 24, no man can serve two masters. So are you faithful to God? And if you can't say, I'm faithful to God, I'm doing my best. And that, listen, I'm not talking about perfection. 
We're all fallible creatures. We all make mistakes. But I am talking about walking in the light. I'm trying to walk in cadence with the teaching of God. So either you are or you're not. Either you're what you ought to be or you're not. If you are, when you die, the Lord will say, well done, good and faithful servant. But don't be misled into thinking. You can just live as you please and you can integrate Christianity into your life when you, into your life when you so choose. Don't, don't be misled into thinking that you can live like that and go to heaven. No, Jesus said that He'll say, depart from me, you cursed. You know what it means to be cursed? Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire? Prepared for the devil and his angels? Do we understand what he's talking about? Do you get what Jesus is saying concerning the hell of fire? That if you don't have your life what it ought to be, you will burn forever. Is that what's going to happen to you? You're going to be lost? There'll come a day when your eternal state will be sealed forevermore. I just wonder how many people are in eternity as we speak. They heard the gospel. Some obeyed the gospel. And then they began drifting spiritually. They died in a state of unfaithfulness. And they are lost. There are those who have heard the gospel. They know what the Bible teaches. They know they're to be faithful to God once they obey the gospel. But they never obey lost. My prayer to, for you is that you, as well as myself, will take to heart the teaching of Christ. That we'll try to live in such a way so that we can glorify God and have a home in heaven. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, what would keep you from doing what you know you need to do? I mentioned a moment ago, people in eternity, as we speak. Don't you know there are people in eternity right now that wish they could hear the invitation song one more time? And they'd be on the front row before you know it. There are some who are unfaithful that in their heart of hearts right now, they're thinking, boy, I wish I could make it right. Don't wait too late. The Bible says today's the day of salvation. So if you're here today, you're not a member of the body of Christ. Why not put your faith and trust in Jesus? Believe that He's the Son of God. Repent of your sins. Confess His name. Be immersed in water so that all your sins can be washed away. And then be faithful. If you are faithful till death, the promise is the crown of life. If you're here today and your life's not what it ought to be, and you know right now that you need to make some things right before you leave this world, we would be privileged to pray with you and for you. And God will abundantly pardon. We stand and sing.